Welcome back, everyone. Um, this is the second part of the second episode of Nationalist Academy. If you want to listen to our book reviews, then please tune in to the first part. I am joined with uh, my co-hosts, Thomas and Uber, and we were, before some technical problems caused us to make this a two-part episode, I was bringing up um, a opinion I have that I think is one of the most... Um, controversial or at least least liked opinions I have and it's a term I just kind of not term but a phrase that I use that in anarchistic collective politics the only morality is might makes right and in this justification it's going to be very very unpopular with ethno-nationalists but it's the point that basically to start out with a little kind of analogy you you can't really justify or condemn morally Alexander the Great for for invading Phoenicia. It's it's not a matter that you can say that oh Alexander the Great and the and when we say Alexander the Great we mean the Greek Empire was morally terrible. They're terrible people because they conquered land. I I actually uploaded a a great video kind of debunking this argument from a movie Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee where um, basically the American general like debunks this thing because the Indians are like, you're invading our land and you're using force to take it. It's not right. And he says, and he basically says, you invaded this land yourself. You came in and you swarmed on the, on the, on the Shawnee, the Chippewa. You set upon your fellow brothers and slaughtered them and took the land for yourselves. And we've come here for no less noble a reason. It's this basic idea that in anarchism and collectivism, in basically the international scene, whoever controls the land, whoever has the might to justify the control, that's the only justification they need. You can't say this land belongs to this people with any other just um, justification with they have the might to own the land. It's completely different with individuals and everything like that, and also within a government system because it gets into kind of um, it gets into kind of liberal um, ideas of social contract and everything like that, and everyone playing along by the same rules. But in absolute, you know, anarchy, there are no there are no property rights. There are no anything like that. There are no inherent rights of countries there are there's only might so the reason japan is the rightful owner of japan is because they had the forest to come in slaughter the natives living on the islands and take it for themselves and i hold this opinion for um for funnily enough for israel as well whether palestine overtakes all the jews and expels them from israel and lay claim to land they're justified in having it as long as they have the might to keep anyone else from conquering it. And the same way, same way with Israel. If they come in and just, you know, wipe out the Palestinians and say, this is our land and no one else has the might to usurp them, then they just, then they justly have the land. It's, it, I know it's, it's very kind of, it's very kind of out there and very kind of hard to swallow. But, but what do you all think of that, um, that opinion? Well, I mean, if we're, it depends on the way we want to look at history. It depends on the lens, the perception by which we would like to analyze history. But yeah, pretty much 
when you're walking it's, into a situation yeah. that there is nothing, there is no governing laws. You know, you're dealing with these native tribes that really don't have any conception of any of the more complicated nuances of human civilization. Then you're not committing some kind of moral sin by taking their land from them. It's not their land. They don't have that concept. Like, I would agree with you, basically, is what I'm saying. And funnily enough, even though that many on the alt-right hate her, and I don't particularly like her, but Anne Rand also justified that. They, she, she added a further justification that it was good that the white people, the Americans, took lands from the natives because they weren't doing anything productive with it. But I, I'm going even one step further that even if you don't do anything productive for it, as long as you maintain the the might to to control that land, then the Mongols have the right to Mongolia only as long as they, you know, have the might to keep out other non-Mongolians from controlling it. Because, and my justification for this is, when looking through history, no one, no one with any kind of um, common sense would fault, say, they wouldn't, they could fault it in terms of a policy, policy sense, saying it wasn't feasible to do or it's not good in the long term for the functionality of the government for, say, Rome to invade Britain or anything like that. They, But they wouldn't go far as to say Rome, Rome itself is collectively morally responsible for invading Britain and the rightful heirs of the land were the Celtics and they were and they were just in burning the city. No, it's it's both of them were justified. Both the Romans for invading the Celtic people in the British Isles, and for the Celtic people, likewise in turn, to to rebel and reconquer their land and burn London to the ground. It's it, that's my basic justification for it. That looking through all the different wars and conquests in history, you can fault them policy-wise and functionally-wise, but you can't judge them morally wise because I, I don't think that you know as i put it summoning up in anarchistic collective politics there is no moral there is no moral besides might makes right right well yeah but, and just yeah, based I mean, on the way that history unfolds you can't really deduce any kind of like moral pattern from it other than that right. i mean <clears throat> yes I was going to say to a certain extent, like, no no civilization or nation or empire fell, which wasn't, like, <clears throat> morally degenerate towards the end anyways. Like, might is almost, um... Required? Uh, coefficient of uh, the moral health of the state, almost. Mm -hmm. and, and that's somewhat... That's somewhat true to an extent. I would say there there are some um, there are some exceptions to this from from my um, from my understanding that um, the that idea of might in terms of a coefficient with um, moral um, moral health it's it's relative to the nation itself the might of the nation versus the the you know might being exerted by everyone within that nation, but at the same time, a counterexample to that I would put forth would be Japan during the Shogun era, where their armies were absolutely abysmal compared to the West, yet at the same time, I would say they were a very, very traditionalist and morally... They were, they were doing morally all right before 
they they fell in lieu of um in lieu of modernizing their military and everything like that and you could consider that the fall of an empire kind of the the samurai shogunate of Japan right but getting well, back I've... to this collective point the what i think that people really won't like about it is is it also refutes the claim that that many will have, and I'm probably going to get a hell of a lot of flack for this, but it also refutes the claim that that when people say Europe is the Europe is the homeland, that the European people deserve to have have European countries. Here's the thing: Not yes, if they don't defend them. Yes, that's that's exactly it. the point. It's it's like if Greece or Germany or anyone like that, if they don't utilize their might to defend their countries, then the people who who do are so. Right. If the everybody, if the Islamist jihadi, popular like, as you're suggesting, Cole, because after the uh, French election when Le Pen lost and Macron won, uh, I saw multiple people. On the, I mean, not even multiple. It was probably at least fucking ten people, if not more, mm-hmm. on the timeline, suggesting that like, well, if France, if the French people can't even be bothered to fucking vote in their own interests, much less defend their homeland, you know, exert might, anything <laughs> on mm-hmm. that level. If they if they can't even be bothered to enact policy to defend their own soil. Then they don't even really fucking deserve it. That, like, yeah, exactly. Next, and that's you know and that's... the next women that are raped and beheaded by some fucking crazed jihadi on their soil. I mean, as tragic it's as on it them. is, it's on them. And that's as where as, and that's where I get that the woman didn't necessarily. I mean, it would be even fucking better if she voted for Macron. But like, even if she didn't, even if she voted for Le Pen, like you know, she didn't choose it. Whatever. Like they as a society didn't. <laughs> collectively decide, like, hey, we need to stop this shit, so they deserve whatever the fuck is coming to them. Like, yeah. everyone was saying that on that day. So I and, don't know if you're... And that's why I reject the, the policy that some people say, yes, it's a good kind of romantic idea, this idea of America intervening and we're American white nationalists and we need to go defend the homeland and we'll retake European countries from the from their exploiters and the invaders and everything like that but it's like it's like no if they're if they're not exerting the might to defend their own countries then they're not justified in having the countries and such like this it it's kind of a double edged sword and although you say it's it's not that unpopular opinion i think it is a very I think it is definitely a very unpopular opinion to say that the European people don't deserve their own countries if if they don't personally go and defend them. I think people... Okay, so... I I think people counter-signal against it because I think people feel that it could be used as a weapon against seedling, like, nationalist movements, so to speak. People feel that, like... Um, I don't know, let's say, like an insurgent nationalist movement in France, for instance, mm-hmm. could be theoretically shut down by, um, <clears throat> you know, merchants or something of that nature who are arguing that, like, well, the rest of your countrymen don't uh, feel that you should defend your homeland, so you don't deserve it. And, like, I mean, I think you're right. I just think that maybe people within the alt-right think that that's a, um, almost kind of like, don't give away your playbook to the enemy sort of deal. Mm-hmm. And I'll agree, you know? it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. While, the, while it debunks 
the claim of indigenous people, the indigenous people's <laughs> land argument, it also it also debunks your justification for the land besides the, you know, might makes right things and we right. haven't been well, utilizing I mean, our might. I I think everyone sort of I, I don't know. Might unconsciously I, I understand you, it. Right, even unconsciously. I was gonna say I don't wanna disagree with you too much, but like I you know, in the past I've kinda signaled like when it's a very useful argument in some cases actually, because when some people in the uh, left or whatever uh, talk about reparations or something like oh, oy vey, white colonialism, like all that shit, right? Mm-hmm. I like to bring up uh, the Mongolian Empire, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, reparations for Mongolia. If you apply the same standard to everyone, then uh, fucking everyone re- owes everyone reparations. And some mm-hmm. people owe reparations to nations and states and ethnicities that don't even fucking exist anymore. So then what are we... What are we supposed to do with that? How, what reparations can they pay? Do we just exterminate them in terms so that... And it know, brings away the takeaway right. that it's, it's better. Just... And actually, that's kind of a solid policy thing. It's absolutely horrible to say, but if you're conquering a nation, it's better to just wipe out the indigenous population right, rather than slave no them. Because then reparations to yeah, because they can. Because I guess uh, who who was it? It's probably some philosopher that said that or military tactician that said it that it's better to genocide your enemy and it's entirely less their sons um, come back and, I think, and avenge him. I think you're channeling Machiavelli right now <laughs> to, uh, to a greater extent with your argument. I think he was the one who said that where, I mean, either of you or listeners could correct me if I'm wrong. Feel free. Hmm. But I think he was the one who said like, if you're going <laughs> to attack someone, don't just wound them. Make sure you fucking kill them. Because mm. if you wound them, then they could seek revenge. But if you kill them, then they can't fucking come back later and try to avenge themselves upon you. I'm pretty sure that's... It's fucking either Machiavelli ghost or Sun Tzu. Na- fucking ghost ethnic revenge, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Indian burial grounds, man. Yeah, I, oh no. And, and that's interesting. Do you think that's actually some kind of... Not even like... A conscious thing, but some kind of subconscious thing. We attribute like extra mysticism to indigenous populations, and we and we kind of have some kind of white collective it's, guilt to this idea of the Indian tribesmen are angry that we took their land, and they're it, rightly coming back well, to avenge it. Right. Not even just that, but I would say that. Well, uh, first I'll address that, and then yes, I believe that for uh, partially. Uh, I, I agree with your take on the morals of it and all, but to a certain extent, partially rightfully and partially idiotically, people do sort of have this sense of like, oh, Indians, my Indians, their their land and shit, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse. And I think <clears throat> the flip side of that coin is to a certain extent, people fetishize Native Americans and their mysticism and their culture and their... Uh, supposed enlightenment, the the myth of the noble savage, and so forth. And it is like, the myth myth of the noble I, savage. And it's really a lot worse in Canada they, than America. Oh yeah, I really don't think they were. To be honest, I mean, I'm sure you guys don't think they were some kind of like, oh, enlightened 
gentle, just like no, they perfect weren't at all. utopian people before white. And here's up. the like, thing: genetically, they're closer bullshit. to Asians. And if you know anything about Asian Asian history, Asian culture, and everything like that, they are they are absolutely brutal. If there's a warring Whoa. faction, then the opposite warring faction that loses, they're absolutely lucky if they're able to run away with like. 10% of their population still alive. They'll, right. They don't take slaves. That. They come in and slaughter everything. Right. And not even just that, but if you think of Native Americans as an extension of Asians, like, how far to fucking fall and degenerate? Like, if even, you know, China or Japan has its problems, but they're a fucking functional civilization with the conception of, like, land and currency... So you came over the Bering Strait like 50,000 years ago and when, you know, Japan had uh, Bushido and feudalism and all that, you had fucking sharpened sticks and like hide tents like and how the, and yeah the comparison the is they're not, not even that much better than the aboriginals and the very height of their the very height of their um and this is talking about before like western intervention the very height of their civilization were kind of like bloodthirsty like cannibals of um, the Aztec Empire and things like that of doing right. ritual human sacrifice of carving For out sure. hearts and I mean if you eating even, even if stuff. you want to look at like less brutal or something like the the uh, Incas or something I mean their their civilization uh, it wasn't as brutal as the Aztecs but their I mean they practiced mummification in like fucking I don't know fucking like 1500 AD I believe they also <laughs> did um live mummification of pets along with their owners right I mean yeah they didn't I don't think they even had the wheel Oh and here and I I've recommend this on numerous times but I highly recommend the channel ADV China and I'm going to bring up a why this is relevant in a second, but basically it's these two white guys, one originally from America, one originally from South Africa, and they've been living as English teachers in China, and they, and I love it because they've been living there for like, like, you know, like a decade or, or decade and a half, and so they absolutely know Chinese culture and, and how China really works, and it's interesting just seeing absolutely, it's not, it's not a matter of worse or better. It's a matter of just how different it is. And getting back to how it's related, because the Native Americans are related to um to um the Asians, they have a similar conception of um of it's kind of romanticized here in America that they oh they respect they respect animals and everything like that, but no, that was a kind of isolated isolated thing in china the the word for um animal it's if you directly translate it it's translated as moving thing it's just you know some object some moving thing on the ground <laughs> it's and like it's a an problem inanimate object that moves exactly like. <laughs> and that's where it comes from and there's a big problem with animal cruelty in china now it's going down but they do things like you know the stereotype and it's actually true that you know they eat dogs they in order to do a superstition that they that they believe if you the more painfully you kill the dog while you know while preparing it then the more delicious its meat is going to be when eating it and they they lack empathy for animals this is changing in modern years but one of the most recent things is these um 
these accessories that um that they have where they have like a little turtle or a little fish in a necklace and it's contained permanently it's permanently sealed so within about a week or so it dies and you buy a new one but it's a market that just kind of built off this animal cruelty and and this ties back to the native americans because we can see that within these you know tribes of yes they 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 can have honor for animals and everything like that and they can use every part but they have they have absolutely no qualms in terms of 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 you know butchery and brutality of the animals of of causing them pain it's they honor they honored their ancestors and they honor animals by you know supposedly you know using every part and everything's like that but they have no they have no qualms about either strangling an animal to death beating it to death or anything they don't have this Case concept of a painless yeah they don't have a concept <laughs> of giving it a humane painless death and and funnily enough Why that's also PETA fucking protest that shit and funnily enough that's also in um in the Jewish killings of, um, of fuck, what's it? Right, being kosher, kosher slaughter oh. of cows, and and that's Hello that was too. actually one of the propaganda videos that um that the Germans used, and they actually put a disclaimer warning, just like if you're young, don't don't look at this little Hitler youth, and it's a it's absolutely little like little revolting. Hitler. It's absolutely <laughs> like revolting, just showing them how they kill this like don't cow. They... They take the cow and they hang it upside down, and then they hang it by its, its back legs, and they and then they split it by its have throat, it yeah. bleed to death from its throat. Yep, that's not even from my conception as you know a uh, internet Nazi. That's just what I knew before what kosher entails. Yes, mm. that's am I a red pill me if I'm wrong, and that's what it is, right? Yes. Yep, that's completely right. They can't have <laughs> blood in their meat, so Holy they completely bleed shit. the cow till it dies from its neck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it can't even suffocate on its own blood because the blood can't be pumped up into its lungs. Mm -hmm. It just fucking bleeds to death from its neck. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually a huge point of contention between people in India because the Indians the misconception they're all vegetarians. They do eat meat, but they believe in severing the head completely at one time so the animal dies immediately. Whereas the people that eat halal do this bleeding out thing, and the Indians think that's horrific, and it's that's a big point of contention actually between those two religions. Mm -hmm. I forget what the Indian name for it is. It's like jakar or something, where you chop the head off mm -hmm. right away. It does sound a little more humane to me. Just saying. And and you can just see like the you can contrast it with what we do in Western European things. I mean, we have so many groups advocating animal rights and everything like that, and they don't really have a basis for that, but I mean, just our human, or not even human, our, our Caucasian empathy, empathy, like, we try to do things <laughs> like, we try to, we try to instantly kill the animal, or we try to, like, put it to sleep by knocking it unconscious first, and... We do all these different things. I mean, yes, it's true, and p you can come up with the thing of just, you know, a, a cat, if a farmer wants to kill his cow, he'll just go out and shoot it in the head or something like that. But in industrialized thing, I mean, we have so many things of just, you know, a chicken dying just instantly ground up by a cutter, and there's absolutely nothing left of it anymore, rather than, you know, bleeding it out and doing all these terrible things and having them as accessories, mm, yeah. and as the uh, Chinese would put it, moving things. It's. I don't even really know where I'm going with this, but I guess back to the basic point was 
the Native Americans are are overly glorified. They're kind of looked to right. Uh, they're fetishized. Yeah, it's they they're looked to as like oh a spiritual not even ancestor, just like an oso wise people that we are terrible. They lived in harmony with the earth oh, and all its creatures and each other. It was just a it was just a utopia before white men showed up. It's like yeah, nobody ever mentions the fucking Aztecs when they're talking about that made up shit. And even the even the northern Indian tribes, as I mentioned in the the videos called um indigenous um indigenous people argument blown the fuck out btfo it's <laughs> basically the the general <laughs> argues that he says he basically says sir your people did not sprout from the plains like the spring glass nor did they coalesce out of the ether your tribe slaughtered the ones before you and they slaughtered the ones before them and the idea that that you were peaceable until the white man came and sold you guns is the most fanciful idea in your religion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh. and I and I absolutely love that and I find it as a good justification for it that war is the natural state of, you know, international relations. It's 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 this idea of it's not even peaceful coexistence. It's almost like just peaceful dominance that the world hegemonic power of the United States is kind of not letting people sort out their their land disputes and their and their beefs with each other by saying these are your borders any any change of these will be met with instant international aggression as we saw with with Russia and I mean right. you both can you both can say whether you agree or not but I mean I think that Crimea does have a legitimate and justified reason for being a part of Russia rather than Ukraine Right. I agree. I actually totally agree with that. Didn't they... I mean, okay, so pardon me if I'm being utterly fucking retarded. Like, you can both... <laughs> I can explain the si I can explain the general right. situation, so... This, so Sure, but this is just my, okay. like, uh, um, observation. Didn't the fucking Crimean people vote to join... Didn't they dem democratically decide they wanted to be part of Russia... Yeah, so here's the situation. Here's here's the events that happen. Basically, the the CIA instigates a coup in Ukraine that um that ousts the um pro-Russian type um government and institutes a pro-NATO um pro-European right. pro-US government and instigates and it is trying to push for the policy of getting Ukraine to join NATO to, you know, block Russian aggression and everything like that because it's a relic of the Cold War. And, of course, Russia doesn't want that because it'll mean more military bases that are, you know, generally oppositional to Russia along their border. So it, it's kind of a dual purpose. There is a legitimate reason because within the Crimean area, it's all ethnic Russian, not ethnic Ukraine. And these people, they, of course, don't like the the U.S. coup because it's anti-Russian and stuff like, like that, and the, and there's basically a Ukrainian civil war going on with this um, coup government fighting the Ukrainian resistance that's very pro-Russia and everything like that. So, on that side, yes, totally. The ethnic Russians voted. They had a referendum to see, say, do we want to leave? Ukraine, they voted overwhelmingly yes. I can't even remember what it was. I think it was like 97% voted to leave Ukraine, and then, and then, then a few days later, they, they, the government extended a um, 
extended not an offer but a request to join Russia and Russia of course eagerly accepted now there is another side there is a military a militaristic side Ukraine is justified in owning that land, as we said before, because might makes right. As long as the Ukrainian government, whether it was elected by the people or, or not, as long as they have the might to rule over that particular land, they're justified, and the same with Russia. But at the same time, the, some military reasoning behind it is Crimea borders the, um, borders the Black Sea and has a, a very, very, very important port that basically, if whoever controls it basically controls that whole entire area of water in the Black Sea could, moving down into, um... It, is it the Black Sea or is it the, Med or is it the Caspian it's Sea? It's the Black Sea. That's it's the not Black the Caspian Sea? sea? No. Yes. Alright, so the Black Sea. And basically, that whoever controls that port has naval supremacy of the Black Sea. And yes, from a very um, militaristic and might-makes-right standpoint, the U.S. does have a very good reason for saying... Crimea shouldn't belong to the Russians for this military standpoint, but in the terms of the standpoint of um, of an ethnic nationalist standpoint that the people who are your ethnicity belong in your nation, then yes, their their land that they own, which is Crimea, does have a very good justification for being moved to and owned by Russia. So th those were the basic breakdown events. So does is that basically what you thought had happened? Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> the conception that I had. I was just saying more that like you couldn't defend it from an ethnic point of view, rather the idea that um, Crimea didn't belong to Russia. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be defended from an ethnic point of view. It couldn't be defended from a more Machiavellian might makes right point of view. It couldn't be defended from a democratic point of view. Just like there was no real defense other than sort of like it fits into the U.S.'s um, past and or current interests, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it supports the yeah, it supports the hegemony conception. of U.S. Um, U.S. dominance. Right, the NATO sort of mm -hmm. NATO UN world power structure, more or less. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> woo. Well, yeah, and I mean <laughs> the Ukraine and Crimea specifically was originally cut off of Russia and put into Ukraine during the Soviet Union. That area used to be the Crimean the Crimean Khanate. It was, you know, Muslim at one time. The Russians controlled it for hundreds of years there afterwards, converting it to Christianity. Like, clearly this is part of Russia. A lot of the Ukraine, honestly, is clearly part of Russia. I'm sorry Russia, if we have get on it. You have Chechnya. Get on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, you know, take the, take it back. It used to be part of the Russian Empire, and then you got the Soviet mess. So, yeah, I, 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 for one, am totally fine with Russia taking those chunks of Russia that belong to it back. I get why NATO doesn't like that, and I get why NATO tried to make the Ukraine part of it. But guess what, NATO? When you mess with Russia like that, things are going to start happening in those countries. And if you try to encircle Russia completely, you're going to have back to the bear into a corner. What do you think it's going to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, either of you could um, remind me, when was the last time someone fucked with Russia and it went well for them? <laughs> um, uh, seriously. The, the Japanese-Russian war. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the Crimean War went okay for the British. Yeah. Okay. Not that terrible. <laughs> 
but yeah not a great track record of opposing russia for the world so i mean yeah here's the they thought. tend to have a lot of might <laughs> and they also tend to have like geography on their side mm-hmm. yeah i know they don't invade russia in the winter i don't know how many people have to fucking uh it's the true how many great men warming. some Somebody planned this a long time ago. They just said, if we warm up the world, there'll be... You can't invade Russia in the winter if there's no more winter. Thinking black guy dot joke JPEG. Fucking hell. And here's the thing with Russia. Yes, I, I can admit that it's corrupt that it's run by oligarchs and Putin and everything like that. And he's not even an ethno-nationalist. However, he's kind of... He's, he's kind of a, an in-between between Trump's civic nationalism and ethno-nationalism. He's very, he of course, is Russian nationalist, but it's, like I said, I can't even really describe it. It's in-between. It's not entirely civic nationalist that we are going to import a bunch of people on H-1B visas and get the most high-skilled people from everywhere across the world into our country, but at the same time, it's not... Hey you, hey you Jews, get out of the country! <laughs> right. Hey you Jews. When was the last time someone actually? I don't know. What said? Hey said you Jews, that, get guess. out of the country. Yeah, hey you Jews, get out of the fucking country. Like maybe Franco. <laughs> no, it it would be much sooner than that. I think there's um. A... Well, Franco was president of Spain until like '74, lad. That's <laughs> when he died. <laughs> was but, that the most that recent? Wasn't... I think I think there's some Asian countries that specifically say Jews get out. <laughs> Holy shit! Where do I need to move to? Red pill me on this. I, I don't I don't remember, but but it's kind of funny. Like Asians are very ethnocentric, and it's absolutely great. Well, right. I have a I have a video of um. Are based as fuck. I have a video of um a Japanese girl protesting outside a Japanese airport, saying we should genocide all the Koreans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and no, I it's not like the, the guy is standing there no, saying you said... deserve rape. It's she's out there saying literally, we need to genocide the filthy evil Koreans. <laughs> I don't know if I saw that part, but a friend told me about this Japanese nationalist girl who their movement they have like fucking imperial Japanese flags and shit, and they're saying like, this isn't the pe- J- Korean Peninsula. Don't let our streets reek of kimchi. Like. <laughs> <laughs> fucking awesome. And speaking of which, if you want to learn about um, about Korea specifically, I would recommend the, it's not a documentary, it's actually a lecture, it's called The Cleanest Race and it's absolutely fascinating because it it basically dispels this idea that um, that um, Korea is actually, North Korea is actually communist. It's specifically about the North Korean people and it's absolutely a fascinating lecture he talks about how these myths came about that most people who are in um north korean think tanks not of north korea but about north korea that they actually don't speak um korean and and it's actually kind of a funny thing and and it's very interesting the way he frames it they have a very ethno nash it's not nationalist but a very ethnocentric point of view that when they censor the outside world and everything like that, when they establish authoritarian government, it's not so much they want to oppress their people, it's with the people's complete understanding that they want to, that they are, as they put it, the cleanest race. And it's not so, it's not so much that, um, that they're out there to purify the world, but if they let in all these foreign influence, that they're going to 
dirty and sully their own race and everything like that. And and funnily enough, it's actually close to a matriarchy. Not a patriarchy, a matriarchy. That Kim Jong-un is, is yes, he's called the great the great um, parent, but he's also he was also picked for being representative of like motherly tendencies and 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 he analyzes the politics of Korea since like you know they separated from China and everything like that and also them separating from Japan. But basically, with Korea, they kind of they kind of look at what China does and say we can do that better. So when the the communist government took hold in China, they had their own mini rev not revolutionary, but many philosophers saying, oh, well, we have our own brand of, of correct China for the for the best people. And that's where the meaning comes from. Best North Korea is best Korea. They literally think that they're, you know, a better race than the, um, the South Koreans. I highly recommend that documentary. It's called The, the Cleanest Race. But... Um, but going on, Asian, Asian, um, not culture, Asian history is absolutely fascinating when understanding um, ethnic relations between them. <laughs> and many right. people who, you know, espouse multiculturalism and, you know, progressivism, they just don't understand that there's actual, you know, ethnic divides between the various Asians, as it was put once, and all the, and it was in some YouTube video, and all the Asians, be, all the Asians hate each other for some reason. No, there are very oh, good yeah. reasons I for don't, it. I was going to say, I don't, I, somebody doesn't understand that, because all the Asian countries still fucking hate each other over shit that happened, like, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, right. China's still like ranting it, about the invasion it, of Japan. Japan, Korea is still fucking, like, bitching about the colonialism of Japan over Korea when it happened, like, 50 years ago. That would be, like, I don't know, it would be, like, the French and Polish still being mad at the Germans. <laughs> but they are. They are still fucking pissed about it for some reason or another. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of awing. Because there was even this fucking... This is getting into... I'm exposing my weeb culture just a little mm -hmm. bit. But if either of you are familiar with Attack on Titan, one of the more popular I know about it, but I there, haven't watched it. One of the uh, generals in there, it came out that he bore a striking resemblance to a Japanese general who served during the like Japanese-Korean War. And like there was fucking hell raised because he kind of looked like that dude. Like, Korean fans were, like, infuriated that he would dare to use one of their country's, like, historical figures who had taken part in this international conflict. And I was like, dude, that was, like, 150 fucking years ago. What's wrong with you? But they were still fucking pissed about it, so... Yeah, well, I can't really fold them for that. I mean, I have the same kind of um, feelings with them, the Confederacy. I... Just... the And I... <laughs> I yeah, bring this Southerners up. are like that too. Yeah, and I bring this up that it was almost like I it's a very hyperbolic but it was almost like a 9/11 General Sherman's march to the sea. I mean, in Georgia history, that's one of like the big tragedies. That's something that pretty much all Georgian people if they, you know, have sympathies for the Confederacy that that's one of the things they all agree all agree on. It General Sir Sherman's march to the sea. General Sherman absolutely hated the Confederacy and hated Southerners. So what he did is he took his army, marched down through the South, and absolutely, he basically tore up the rail lines and did General Sherman's neckties and tied them around trees and burnt. And that's a reason we don't have many buildings from before 
the end of the Civil War down here in the South because he absolutely, as the, as it was put, he burnt Atlanta to the ground. All of our old buildings, all of our, you know, grandiose structures, whether they be churches or anything like that, were absolutely burnt to the ground. And to help people understand this, when he destroyed the the railway system the and our train stations... Atlanta has always been a hub of transportation for both goods and everything like that. That's basically our backbone. So the equivalent of destroying our train stations would be like would be like if today some terrorist organization came and just blew up the Atlanta airport. It would be just something so absolutely horrific and just an absolute attack on just our identity as a people. So I can I can understand these, you know, I can understand when people have gripes about, you know, decades and even centuries old wars and things like that as it gets older you can have kind of a a meme type and i hate that how how the plural for meme is the is the you know meme word meme but a meme type <laughs> you know it's a a meme type sentiment so we can say so we can say things like Ah, oh, fuck you, fuck you, British redcoats. We kicked you out of our country, and we could do it again. Yeah, you can have those kind of things for old wars, but I mean, for more recent ones, they become you know less meme, like um, like the French being invaded by by Germans, and they do you know I mean, you, we have we have a very biased perspective, and we could say that the French were freed from their degeneracy and installed a French nationalist government, but in actuality, yes, it was an invasion of their territory and a, and a puppet state, and that is a legitimate grievance for French to have against German people. <laughs> right. Yeah, make a lace part of Germany again. Give back Danzig, you fucking Poles. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> that... Germany's lost its balls. Tommy's mm-hmm. German side is coming out. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, oof. Don't get me started. Don't get me started on East Prussia. That's a whole thing I could go into that I'm just not. It's very, very. You just don't have time. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think we're winding down the philosophical discussion, and we can keep talking after. But I, I think everyone who's listening for bearing with us having to break this up into two parts due to technical difficulties, we are going to be resuming next. Week. I still haven't chosen my book. Have either of you chosen or thought about your books that you're going to do next week? Yeah, I'm about halfway through mine. What book is I'm it? I'm thinking of doing... I'm going to do a comic. new translation of Crime and Punishment that I just got my hands on. Mm. All right, cool. Dostoevsky. And what about you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of doing The Doctrine of Fascism by Benito Mussolini. Ooh. And uh, if she turns up, then my wife is thinking of doing maybe a or a couple chapters of uh, People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, which is basically your uh, stereotypical shit lib history textbook for the United States. And when I when I when I I heard of it, isn't isn't I thought it was a a communist historical document. Uh, he he. I thought um, it was like a you know a communist he um, himself as a socialist. I know. I I thought it was the the communist lens of history being um, history is a matter of materialist class um, warfare. Is, is that? Uh, I read about the past, the second half of it. I, I'll briefly say, um, it seems like Zinn. Uh, he he recognizes that something is amiss in much of American history. And he places the blame squarely upon the feet of 
the evil rich people. And I mean, as we all know, that's about half true. But and um, and yeah, wait, you did know. you did you all see? Have you all seen that that funny um clip of Noam Chomsky completely saying the most retarded thing ever? What that the Republicans are the most dangerous group to ever exist in yes. the history of man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, like, it's. Are you fucking? Yeah, I know. It's so ridiculous. Bolsheviks, are you? And his reasoning, high right now? and his reasoning is is climate change. change. Right? It's they're not threatening the fundamental existence of humanity. <laughs> fucking what? Fucking what? You cunt. That, yeah. Oh, I don't. Okay. We'll <laughs> that's a whole other Spurg topic we could go that into. Could, yep. That's like a whole podcast. But all right, Yep, and so, thank you all for that. listening, and we will see you all <laughs> next week. Again, if you want to listen to the audiobook version of The Mysterious Stranger, I'm going to be uploading on my channel, channel Cole Cole, C-O-L-C-O-A-L. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>